by the Ad Council and Grads of Life. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Welcome. Welcome to Stacy on the Right. So I have a lot of news for you, a lot of updates, and uh, we're going to actually dive into a whole bunch, but I want to say welcome back. I'm glad to be back with you. We took a hiatus for the coronavirus, and now we have returned, and we've returned with a lot of news. First off, we have a weekly program. Stacy on the Right has been picked up by Sirius XM The Patriot. It's every Sunday, 10 a.m., to noon Eastern time. And in addition to that, I'm now working as the communications director for Family Vision Media. It's familyvisionmedia.org, familyvisionmedia.org. And that is the home of the daily podcast. So Monday through Friday, you can find that there. Now, today is our first foray back into that environment because I took a, a, a hiatus for coronavirus. The college kids came home and I felt led Literally, I, I was praying about it to, to take some time off and to refresh, to really dig into the word, to uh, to spend some time doing some other things. I continued with the campaign work for the uh, coalitions that I serve on. But for the most part, the radio was actually just being interviewed on other people's programs and not producing my own podcast. And that has paid off because um, I just I needed I needed the respite. And it, it also made room, made space for these other opportunities to occur. So let's talk about today's show. First thing we're going to do right out of the gate is we're going to tackle Don Lemon saying that Jesus Christ made mistakes when he was on earth. We have to address that. And then we are going to talk about, and this this is right up our wheel, or right in our wheelhouse, uh, right up our alley, in our lane, however you want to put it, for discussions on culture. We are going to be discussing this uh, Smithsonian exhibit that they are now putting out this its specious information about the aspects and assumptions of white culture in the United States. We're going to talk about the realities of the COVID-19 virus here in the city of St. Louis and the county in St. Louis and House Democrats working with Liz Cheney to restrict President Trump's attempts to withdraw troops from Afghanistan and Germany. And then under sworn testimony, Planned Parenthood officials admit infanticide occurs in organ harvesting. Uh, so let's first address the deity and sinlessness of Jesus Christ, who is a member of the Godhead, three persons, one God. Uh, and we have to 
tackle this issue because we cannot allow blasphemy of of Jesus. We can't allow that. So uh, we're going to tackle that right now. Let's take a listen to Don Lemon. Um, It's engaged in the discussion. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ, if you believe in, if you, if that's who you believe in, Jesus Christ, admittedly was not perfect when he was here on this earth. So why are we deifying the founders of this country? Many of whom own slaves and in the constitution, the original one, they didn't want, uh, they, they put slavery in there that, that slavery uh, should, should be abolished because it was the way the king wanted. And then the, the Congress said, no way. So he's trying to make an argument there, Don Lemon is, that because Jesus made mistakes and the founders made mistakes, we shouldn't take everything that, they're, that they've created or that they've done as, you know, just, you know, take it at whole cloth. Like, in other words, accepting the Constitution, um, which was started, it started our, our form of government and it created a situation where slavery still existed. And they did that, of course, to basically create the union. They couldn't create it with the slave owning states by abolishing slavery from the outset. So they left it for a later time, knowing that they first had to remove the shackles from England and create a new country and then address slavery. And that is the way it happened. That's the history of it. I don't understand the second guessing of that, but it it is part and parcel to what we see from liberals questioning everything from the founding, bringing up slavery constantly. It is a part of what they do. It's a part of the way that they continue to activate a part of their base. So was Jesus someone who made mistakes when he was here on this earth? I can say definitively as a Christian uh, that that has never been taught to me in Bible study, Christian school, um, even in from the pulpit, even, even when we went to churches that would be considered more liberal, I've never heard a pastor from the pulpit say that Jesus made mistakes. But our source material for anything having to do with Jesus Christ or Christianity should always be the Bible first. And of course, commentaries are excellent. It's, it's great to delve into uh, the deeper study of God's word. We are required as Christians to do that. But the Bible is the source document. And over and over and over again in the Bible, it talks about Jesus being without sin. The whole point of him coming and being born of a virgin is the fact that he is special. He is God, but he assumed human form in order to be the sacrifice for us so that we could be made right with God the Father. So how could a person who made mistakes be the sacrifice for sin-filled people in order to then approach God and say, here is the sacrifice and here by, by me, you can accept these people. Couldn't be done. If he made mistakes, then he'd be one of us and therefore not worthy to lay himself in our place on the cross. So here are some scriptures that you can refer to. And I encourage you to look, even look for your own. And I'm going to give you some. These not only proved on lemon is incorrect, but they speak to the sinless nature of Jesus Christ. And that that is all we have. Anything that man says that contradicts the Bible has to immediately be addressed. And that's what we're doing here today. So starting off with Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Now that verse broken down is for our sake, for the sake of Stacy, God made Jesus to be sin, even though Jesus knew no sin, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God, co-heirs with Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have ever, everlasting life, eternal life. Well, how could God give his son Jesus, who is by his very nature a part of the Godhead, if that person was mistaken or full of sin? It could not happen. First uh, Peter 2.22 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So not only was he sinless, but he did not lie. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So that's speaking about us. So the comparison here is we are full of sin. We are in need of a Savior. The only Savior that could possibly be the perfect sacrifice for us would be an individual who not only is sin-free and mistake-free, but knew no sin and had to be made to be sinful. In other words, to assume our sin in order to be the perfect sacrifice. I'll just give you a couple more. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I think is so interesting about this um, is that Don Lemon could have made his argument without mentioning Jesus Christ, but he chose to do that. And in doing so, probably led millions of people to believe that Jesus committed mistakes or sins when he was present on the earth. And in leading people astray, Don Lemon will be held accountable for that. The Bible says we'll be held accountable for every word, thought, and deed. So it is a terrible thing for him to blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ in that way. And we have to have sympathy for him and pray that he would come to know Jesus Christ as his Savior and repent of that so that he doesn't have to face the repercussions of that at the judgment seat. So 1 John 3, 5 says, You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And 1 Peter 2.24, and I'll end here, but there are so many more. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So there it is. If you hear someone talking about the mistakes that Jesus made or anything in that vein, correct them in love. Gently refer them to scripture. The good news for us is that we're living in the modern age where you have every version of the Bible and audio versions on this nifty little thing called your cell phone. You have the ability to actually do anything you want with um, scripture and finding it and sharing it and doing whatever you need to do with it. So uh, let's, let's do that. Let's make sure that we keep people to the truth. All right, so let's move forward. Uh, we have... A ton of other things to get to. I have in here uh, this, this, this assumptions on white culture in the U.S. So you have the Smithsonian African American History Museum talking about the National Museum of African American History and Culture. That's the proper name of it. It's a U.S. government-run Smithsonian institution, and it includes a webpage about whiteness in America that defines it to include individualism, science, and hard work. Now, they went to the extraordinary lengths of actually downloading from the Judith H. Katz, and this is uh, copyrighted 1990, the Khalil Jamison Consulting Group, Incorporated, All Rights Reserved. This, it's a 
basically it's a spreadsheet of sorts, a table. And it has on it the title, Some Aspects and Assumptions of White Culture in the United States. While different individuals might not practice or accept all of these traits, they are common characteristics of most U.S. white people most of the time. So rugged individualism, self-reliance, individual is a primary unit, independence and autonomy highly valued and rewarded, individuals assumed to be in control of their environment. In other words, you get what you deserve. I'm just going to read you the headers on the rest of it, but the link is in the show notes at listen.stacyontheright.com. You have competition, justice, communication, holidays based in Christian religions, based on white history, male leaders, history, Protestant work ethic, emphasis on scientific method, status, power, and authority, wealth equals worth, heavy value on ownership of goods, space, and property. Your job is how you are, respecting authority, time, adherence to rigid time schedules, time viewed as a commodity, future orientation, planning for the future, delayed gratification, progress is always best, tomorrow will be better, family structure of a nuclear family, mother, father, 2.3 children is the ideal social unit, and then aesthetics based on European culture, woman's beauty is based on blonde and thin, quote Barbie, man's attractiveness is based on economic status, power, intellect, steak and potatoes, bland is best. Now, I got to tell you that some of this stuff is just absolutely ludicrous. We'll get into that in a minute. And then religion. Christianity is the norm. Anything other than Judeo-Christian tradition is foreign. No tolerance or deviation from single God concept. So this is meant to be an assault on whiteness, but it is truly an assault on Christian culture. And the reason we know this is because it simply says it right here. uh, On numerous of these little headers, it attacks Christianity. And so my question for the author of this and for anybody who ascribes to this uh, this chart here and the information therein is, why do you hate success? So as long as I've been alive, as far as I can remember in my household, which I was raised by two black parents, I was taught that you would emulate the behaviors of successful people. And if you see someone who's unsuccessful, you would not behave as they do because behaving as an unsuccessful person does would bring unsuccessful results unto yourself. That's just core common logic that, you know, you you got common sense, you know that. You don't emulate people who are doing worse than you are or who are doing things that get results that you don't want to achieve. But more than that, by them labeling these behaviors as white behaviors, they're excusing a lack of performance in certain communities. So are there white people who don't ascribe to these ideals? Of course they are. And if you look at white people who don't believe in the nuclear family, who don't believe in competing who don't believe in being action-oriented, who don't believe in justice, who don't believe in the king's English rules of communication, avoid conflict, don't show emotion, don't discuss your personal life, be polite, Uh, you know, holidays based on Christian religions. When you look at people who don't believe in these things, you see a distinctly lower performance level. These individuals do not perform at the same level as their white peers. So rather than ascribing these behaviors to whiteness, You should ascribe them, these behaviors, to the Judeo-Christian value system. A lot of these things are found in the Bible. And when you follow them, you achieve success, even if you're not a Christian, because God's word is true. So I just challenge you, when you hear people talking like this, to push back. Stacey Washington, we'll be right back after these messages.
How's the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. <laughs> Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. <laughs> so take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. If you love them enough to listen to them practice the same song on tuba. Please be done. Over and over and over and over and over. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Sounds good, honey. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Okay, man, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. Cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Show the world that you're tougher than tough. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm your host, Smokey Cole Bear. Filling in for Smokey, because after 75 years of... Only you can prevent wildfires. Turns out there's much more to say. Nearly 90% of wildfires are caused by us humans being careless. Dumping our used barbecue coals willy-nilly. Guess the song was wrong. We did start the fire. That's why I respect Mother Nature and her trees, whether coniferous or new car scented. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Okay, forest animals, kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, turtle. He's not here yet, man. Uh, he's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Welcome back to the program. It's good to be with you. StacyOnTheRight.com is the website where you can find out more and uh, share share the, the show. And so uh, I want to dig into this, pro- this story, perspective. St. Louis has 159 coronavirus deaths, 125 homicides, and 50 children shot so far this year. So this is to compare, and it's from over at the Gateway Pundit, our good friend Jim Hoft wrote this piece, uh, it's that we've seen 159 coronavirus deaths so far this year in, in St. Louis. So every one of those lives is valuable, and we mourn the loss of those people. But can we get some perspective on whether or not we're taking the correct actions to respond to the coronavirus in the St. Louis metro area? And I would posit, along with uh, Jim here, that that is 
absolutely not the case. So St. Louis City has had 2,919 confirmed cases, 159 deaths. Missouri has had 28,826 cases and 1,093 deaths. Now, contrast that with St. Louis City's homicides. They've had 125 homicides so far this year. And of those, or or in addition to that, you've had 50 children who were shot in St. Louis so far this year. So the coronavirus is trending downward with uh, fewer cases and definitely fewer hospitalizations. And the death rate has cratered. Like people are catching the virus still, but they are not dying from it. So if it continues this downward trend, as it has in every country or after around two months of pandemic, then the homicides will soon pass the number of coronavirus deaths in the city of St. Louis. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because we don't see any kinds of actions, no murals being painted, no huge marches, no protests. No one's burning down a quick trip over the 50 children who've been shot. The perspective here is that If you do something about the coronavirus, in other words, shutting down the city, keeping the city shut down, only having people allowed to go out to do protests, making people wear masks. If you continue this, the economic malaise will help impact the November election. That shows you where the priority is. So my my take on it is obviously we don't want people dying of coronavirus, but we're doing everything as a nation, as a state and as a city county area to address the coronavirus, but we are doing almost nothing to address the homicide rate in St. Louis City other than basically running our police into the ground and saying that they're not needed and prosecuting homeowners who, you know, may or may not have uh, shown their weapons outside their home in self-defense. I'm speaking of the McCloskeys there. So, uh, yeah, that that's one of the things that I think it's a dichotomy. It's something that is worth us comparing. So moving on, we have this uh, story about Planned Parenthood officials admitting infanticide occurs in organ harvesting. So this was a video put out by the Center for Medical Progress. And in the video, they're, they're admitting to more dastardly behavior. And so the point to covering this story, because I know a lot of people, they, they're like, well, why are you talking about abortion? Because it's killing people. Because 40% of the black population has been wiped out by abortion. Because we subsidize it through our taxpayer dollars. Because that goes against the religious beliefs and moral objections of really dozens of millions of Americans. We should not be subsidizing it through taxpayer funding. And it's morally reprehensible and it goes against God's word. So these new videos and These people show that not only did the abortion giant profit from the sale of fetal organs, but that Planned Parenthood and its business partner, Advanced Bioscience Resources, ABR, actually violated federal law that mandates a fetus born with a beating heart as a human being, being equally entitled to protections under the law. So Daleiden says in the video, placing an order for body parts from a born alive infant uses the means of interstate commerce to obtain the death of a human being through organ harvesting. If the federal laws applied equally to born alive infants, this is murder for hire. So in the video, ABR's procurement manager, Perrin Larton, describes how fetuses just fall out, quote unquote, of some women in the operating room once every couple of months. She says she receives these intact fetuses straight from the abortion doctor and dissects them in the clinic lab for body parts. Larton is then asked if the fetuses have a heartbeat, and she says, it depends. I can see hearts that are not in an intact POC, product of conception, that are beating independently. 
I'll leave it there. This barbarism goes on the United States of America every day. What do we do about it? We pray. We pray for those individuals to be saved, to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and we pray for the end of this injustice, that justice would rain like water throughout our country. All right, so finishing up, um, and and it's a quick podcast day. I'm so excited to be back, and I'm so excited that we're having so much uh, news and information that we're cramming into this first podcast back. And I just encourage you to go to familyvisionmedia.org and check out our resources there. We'll be adding to those continuously. Uh, But now I want to talk about the House Democrats working with Liz Cheney, restricting President Trump's plan withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan and Germany. So here's the deal. You have uh, the U.S. military fighting in Afghanistan for almost 19 years. And House Democrats working in tandem with key pro-war GOP lawmakers have actually gotten together. This is bipartisan to stop the president from removing troops. So the conditions that they have placed on the removal of the troops, and it was an amendment that was jointly sponsored by Democratic Congresswoman Jason Crow of Colorado and Congresswoman Cheney of Wyoming, actually prohibit the expenditure of monies to reduce the U.S. troops deployed in Afghanistan below 8,000 without a series of conditions first being met. For these troop reductions from Afghanistan to actually occur, The Defense Department must be able to certify, among other things, that leaving Afghanistan will not increase the risk for expansion of existing or formation of new terrorist safe havens inside Afghanistan and will not compromise or otherwise negatively affect the ongoing United States counterterrorism mission against the Islamic State, Al-Qaeda, and associated forces. The Crow-Cheney Amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act last night passed with a vote of 45 to 11. And and to be clear, this was last week. Um, The NDAA was then unanimously approved by the committee with a vote of 56 to 0, and it authorizes $740.5 billion in military spending, roughly three times more than the world's second highest spender, which is China. Is this what you want? If not, you have to make your elected officials know. You have to let them know, and then you have to say, I'm looking for something different. And that, that's really all you can do. Um, and pray. Pray that they'll hear you and that they'll obey. And if they don't listen to you, that God will raise up better candidates to take their place who will listen to us. So I'm not anti-war, obviously. I'm an Air Force veteran, fourth-generation military veteran, married to a veteran. But I don't think we belong in Afghanistan And I think 18 years and $8 trillion and thousands of American lives is enough. And I think we should come home. And I think Germany, this long after World War II, should be able to provide their own defense or they should compensate America for providing it. (laughs) Yeah, sounds pretty crazy, doesn't it? All right. So at Stacey on the right on Twitter and Instagram, it has been a pleasure to be with you today. Look forward to more podcasting and more great content. You can check out what I'm up to at Stacy on the Right on Twitter and Instagram. Until tomorrow, have a fantastic evening.